2.1. Conventional state-centric approach. Most political scientists and development practitioners privilege the state. Early modernization theorists, such as Lerner, Lipset, and Rousteau, presume the state seeks and ultimately will achieve and maintain the monopoly over the legitimate use of force in a given territory, providing security and welfare to the people therein. The state is the locus of participation and representation, the engine of economic growth and development. In general, these scholars argued that individuals in traditional societies held values that constrained their demands on authorities and the state. Economic development, including the spread of roads, radios, and other aspects of modernization, would lead to greater mobility, expectations, and demands for democracy, which in turn would foster development. There would be hurdles. Huntington famously argued that the strength of state institutions must keep pace with the level of social mobilization in order to avoid political decay and disorder. Yet, in general, development and democracy went hand in hand, and the state and its institutions were key. The state had the inherent ability to be more organized, technologically savvy, and capable of extending its power than social counterparts, putting them on the defensive. Where the state was not yet dominant, it would, or at least it should, be so in the future. The question was when. Contemporary scholars largely reject modernization theory's teleological perspective, and yet many continue to privilege the state. It is by now well recognized that the state extends power unevenly and often fails to act as early scholars predicted. Nevertheless, many view a high-capacity state as vital for economic growth and human development. State institutions are also key. Regime types affect political stability, economic growth, and human development. Electoral systems shape voter behavior, representation, policymaking, and economic welfare. Administrative arrangements affect service delivery. Research in this tradition has led to important insights about the logic of institutional arrangements that can be extended to other arenas of authority as well. Yet these lessons are often overlooked because scholars in this tradition tend to view forces outside the state as disruptive. They label their impact corruption, clientelism, or low-quality government and invest their time and energy into determining how state institutions, through the implementation of gender quotas, civil service exams, etc., can overcome such forces. Development practitioners also focus on state institutions. Particularly in the early 2000s, many explicitly called for state-building interventions. A report prepared for the UK's Department for International Development noted, the need to better understand state-building is not an academic exercise. States are crucially important to the future of those who live under their jurisdiction. Prior to becoming president of Afghanistan, but after serving as finance minister and in the World Bank, Ashraf Ghani and his co-author, Claire Lockhart, wrote a book calling for greater attention to state-building. In light of spectacular failures in Afghanistan, Iraq, and elsewhere, the notion that external actors could successfully build states came under attack, and state-building became a dirty word. Nevertheless, practitioners continue to see the strengthening of core government functions and other aspects of the state as the key to development particularly in fragile and conflict-affected states. Consequently, most programming is centered around the state. Major multilateral and bilateral development organizations, themselves instruments of states, often focus their programming on state organs, 
implementing projects around budget support, administrative strengthening, or public infrastructure. Smaller development organizations, too, often partner with government agencies. Thus, even when these organizations engage business, NGOs, or other elements of civil society, they tend to do so privileging the state's perspective. Indeed, strengthening the capacity of these actors and organizations to engage the state is often a fundamental goal. The instruments used to measure governance and development are also state-centric. The Fragile States Index, developed by the Fund for Peace, seeks to measure state capacity. Extant indicators of governance and service delivery, such as the World Governance Indicators, Quality of Government, focus primarily on participation, transparency, accountability, and other dimensions of governance with respect to the state. Participation in elections or local council meetings is measured, whereas participation in tribal primaries or non-state councils is not. Moreover, most indicators are at the national level, assuming that the important variation is to be found in national-level state institutions, but not in local-level social institutions. Some may view the primacy given to the national-level state indicators as reflecting the ease of using available data. Yet not all conventional measures are state-collected, and alternatives can exist. Moreover, measuring governance and development with regard to state institutions not only reflects the privileging of the state, but also contributes to it. Thus, while measures of state capacity and institutions are important, it is also necessary to correct the imbalance between measures of the state, of which there is an abundance, and measurements of non-state arenas of authority, which are largely absent.